0: What that is? Everything. Anglo
1: thieves. Gettle's gone? Oh my god, you people have just failed me, failed me utterly. Congratulations, Scotland, we have just gone full so the That just explains so much of my childhood to me. For research purposes? It's super important.
0: I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode thirty-six of Anglophile's Potpourri Tangent Palooza Three: Tesla Machinery.
2: I was going to call it the Tangenting.
0: Oh, that's better. <laughs> I spent like a week trying to think that up. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, you're smarter than me, whatever. I'm Raiden. I'm Alina. And I'm Kaylee. And we have a bunch of quick hits to talk about. So let's get going. Uh Hannibal ended. Possibly probably, honestly, at this point. It's better to start saying it out loud, probably for real. What do you mean mm. denial we
1: can't keep with?
0: Oh. What I really, really need for the Fannables to not do is be like Firefly fans who are like, Oh, oh, don't do that. Don't do that. We're going to have a season two. It's been over 10 years, assholes. You had your movie. It didn't work. Move on. Pretty much everyone else has. So stop it.
1: Yeah, I I, I hope they don't do that. I do think at some point we may get a movie because everyone just seems really interested in staying with the... With the, the story in a way, mm-hmm. and you could probably get away with funding, you know, a ninety-minute, two-hour film, and putting it on Amazon or something more than you could another season. Yeah, I will say I, I was happy with how it ended. I, I cried a lot. I'm not going to lie, but in terms of the way that you, how on earth do you wrap up that story and that relationship, and then put it to a kick-ass Susie and the Banshees song? I was, I was impressed. Yeah.
2: Me too. I thought I was when it was over. I'm like, I'm actually okay with this being the end because it did, like, it was a thematic wrap up yeah. to the three seasons. So,
1: oh, stylistically, it was stunning. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was also really funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I, I saw that. I, I didn't laugh at Chilton off the fact that Alana still managed to work in a comment about him being uncomfortable in his own skin. It's just like, oh, you bitch. You want to talk about being quantifiably queen. bitchy, Alana? Let's go there. But the <laughs> fact that you you got a final scene with Zeller and Price who were just mm-hmm. delighted to be there and then when Francis slaughters the entire police cavalcade, Hannibal gets out and he just goes, oh, you worry too much, Will. You really need to relax as he's yanking <laughs> dead bodies out the car. <laughs> yeah. Oh, someone was talking about <laughs> that day.
0: Oh, yes. Like everybody. Like everybody, and so... Uh, uh, Cleo posted something about Richard Armitage's new project.
1: Is his new project just being ridiculously attractive?
0: No, that's just sort of like an everyday... That's his, that's that's his day That's a lifelong endeavor. Yeah, that's
1: his day job?
0: <laughs> Are there any more pictures
2: of him with Lee Pace that I can look at and just be happy?
1: Oh, if you know where to look, you can find those pictures. There are also amazing gifts of him just eating donuts. <laughs> I will say, credit that clearly this show has, if not revitalized, and certainly given a an extra boost to the careers of particularly its two leads, but also Brian Fuller. Not only is you know, Brian Fuller is getting American Gods, which is mm-hmm. the TV show that every showrunner has wanted to do for about a decade now. Hugh Dancy, who was previously known as that pretty English guy that's married to Claire Danes and does a lot of terrible romantic comedies has now signed on to do a TV show with Hulu where he's playing a charismatic cult leader yes please and Mass Michelson's doing the um, oh, the the, the wars with the stars
0: Um, he's doing a star war of some kind, you know a star war
1: he's playing a good guy (laughs) in it as well, apparently what? I know!
2: Okay, so can I tell my Mass Mickelson story?
1: Yes. Yes.
2: As many good things in my life. This one is thanks to Magic the Gathering. <clears throat> Thank you, <laughs> Richard Garfield. Magic fans will get that. So, the World Magic Cup qualifiers happened. One of the Canadian ones, the ones that took place in Toronto, took place on Fan Expo Canada weekend and was in fact hosted in the Fan Expo facility. The WMCQ entry is a lot cheaper than the Fan Expo one-day entry, but nevertheless, we got the Fan Expo wristbands. (laughs) So I play two rounds of Magic, and then I'm waiting between rounds, wander outside, and there's a sign looking at me. Mass Mickelson. That way.
0: And then you posted on Twitter, like, what do I do? Like that was even a question.
1: Seriously, Alina. (laughs)
2: <laughs> so I text my friend, drop me from the event. I go hang out watching Mina Wen be charming and funny for half an hour. She was wrapping up her Q&A. And then I get into the Mass Mickelson Q&A. <laughs> it was fun. Uh, I was telling um, uh, Raiden Keeley earlier that he did still look like what did we call him? An unkempt college student. Well,
0: a vaguely, vaguely drunk college student.
2: It's very obvious that the moment filming ended, he went, "I don't ever have to shave again," <laughs> <laughs> or get a haircut. <laughs> but you know, at least the untucked shirt and the jeans that they were like clean and presentable. But like the the general unkemptness of the hair on the head was, was happening. He was also funny and charming. Told, said things like. I have never seen a Bond film before being in Bond, and I have never seen a Star Wars film before. Oh my god, Mass. What rock did you live in? Denmark. (laughs) So here are the things they talked about. The host asked him, you know, oh, it's such a pretty show, everyone's so well dressed. Mass goes, Hugh Dancy's well dressed? He has like one suit.
1: (laughs) Oh, I love how judgmental that sounded.
2: (laughs) He talked about being in the Rihanna video. Bitch, better have my money. He said his agent calls him and says, well, Rihanna wants you in her video. And he goes, do I have to dance? But he's apparently now somewhat cool with his children.
0: For the (laughs) moment, it won't
2: last. He's had funny stories about being uh, Le Chiffre in Casino Royale because that is the Bond movie that uh, involves him torturing Daniel Craig by be, like, hitting him in the nuts. Like, he remember that scene where he sits Craig in the chair that presumably has no bottom and, like, swings this thing? Um, do you remember? Swing. Oh, yeah.
0: oh, I remember. Very, <laughs> I mean.
2: Hmm. <laughs> Here's the yeah. story. Well, first of all, he goes, that was great fun for me. I don't think it was very fun for Daniel Craig. <laughs> the chair was supposed to have, it did have a plastic bottom, but it cracked during one <laughs> of the t- So he says, if you hear a
0: scream that seems a little more realistic than the others. Oh, Mass.
2: Oh, and uh, this is my story of how I got to hear Mass Mickelson say the word thrust in a sexual context. And it was very sexy. (laughs) No, it was kind of an anti-sexual in a way, because they're talking about, let's see, the host called him sexy cannibal. Oh, no, I think they were talking about getting away with, like, blood and gore versus sexuality on TV. And he was saying how... You know, it's amazing how they got away with all of the, all the things they got away with on the show. But then when it got to be the sex scenes, like don't show side boob and blur the butt, you know, all of that happens from standards and practices. And he was saying how filming sex is not actually sexy because, you know, you can't actually simulate sexual movement. You cannot thrust. You can't you can't do anything. <laughs> And I'm just sitting here with him in this accent. I'm like, oh, Kaylee would be so happy right now if she were here
1: I'm, so, I'm really glad that my imagination is almost as good as Will Graham's at times. Mm.
2: <laughs> and what's kind of sad is that it really does seem like the cast and crew of Hannibal were blindsided by the cancellation because he said they expected not to get more than one season. And then they still expected that this would be it after season two. But once they got season three... They thought that they thought they were in the clear that the show was you know accepted and was going to go on. So the fact that they, yeah, you get season three, but no, no, that's that's where they you know we've had enough. That surprised them.
1: Hmm. I don't think anyone's ever been able to make sense of NBC. No, and we never will.
0: No, NBC is still trying to reach back to when they were the big dog in the '90s, and once. They lost the West Wing. That was kind of the end of
1: NBC's domination. But they might get it back now because Neil Patrick Harris is a variety show that's based on a British one, which I have so many opinions on. Which show? Okay, okay. So it's called Neil Patrick Harris' Best Week Ever, I believe. Or Best Night Ever, or Best Show Ever. It's It's none of those things. It's based on a British show called Ant and Deck's Saturday Night Takeaway. Ant and Deck are kind of the kings of British primetime TV. They're a duo who were in a kids' TV show together and have basically done everything together in their career. Actually, they're both insured for millions of pounds if one of them dies. It's that kind of situation. So it's this Saturday Night show where it's like, you know, musical guests and silly skits and kind of old school variety, but with way more passive-aggressive blackmail. There's an entire segment on the show where they... Pick a woman or person out of the audience. usually a woman. And they reveal that they've basically been snooping through her life. And everyone around her has been in on this joke. That she's going to be on the show and be publicly humiliated. Except for her. Or him. And this is entertainment. And she has to just sort of sit there and take it. You, they usually give her a prize at the end of it. Like a nice prize. A holiday or a car or something. But you basically have to submit to being publicly humiliated. In front of about 11 million people. Hmm. And... Clearly, NBC thought, this is a great idea. Let's get Neil Patrick Harris to do exactly that, because that's why people like Neil Patrick Harris. So I watched clips of the show, and it was excruciating. It was like, it made his hosting of the Oscars look like his Tony Award-winning Broadway shows. It was bad.
2: I'm concerned about Neil Patrick Harris. And I know it's mostly because of the Oscars, but I don't know what happened. It's like, who stole his mojo?
1: Yeah, I think TV. I think particularly TV don't know what to do with him because he's incredibly talented, but he's also openly gay, and I think that that's freaking them out. Because even though he spent like nine seasons or whatever being the most heterosexual character on television, overcompensatingly so with *How I Met Your Mother*, Mm -hmm. they they don't really know what to do with the sort of the triple threat singing, dancing, acting, comedian, TV presenter, actor, who, and I I think the fact that he is openly gay, still freaks out a lot of the very conservative heads at NBC who want to be the, what they see as the family network, and for them that's a very narrow definition. But they also tried to do this variety show thing with Maya Rudolph, Mm -hmm. which wasn't popular, but they're still bringing it back. Well, maybe if we try it with a dude... Well, that's why they're making Maya Rudolph do it with Martin Short.
0: Yeah. Mm -mm. Mm
1: -mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, if they were playing their characters in Inherent Vice, that would be amazing. (laughs) I don't think they will. So, it's just, I don't think the Variety Show thing has any juice anymore. So, I don't know why they keep returning to it. Like, I don't know why we keep doing *Avant* and Dick and Britain, because they're wildly popular and people keep watching them. Like, people still watch I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here in this country, including my mother. Mm hmm. So I can't even play moral high ground on the tastes of America here? Yeah. It's just one of those. I don't want to keep pulling the Hannibal got cancelled and this goes on card, but they make it very, very easy to but play Hannibal
2: got cancelled and this goes on. Yeah.
1: Like, Neil Patrick Harris is a cannibal. I'd watch that. <laughs> like, him and Zachary Quinto could team up and be like Bedelia's crazy patients.
2: That was almost like a waste of Zachary Quinto.
0: Yeah, that was that was not almost a waste. That was that was an actual waste. That and, was I mean, a case
1: of Brian to- calling out and saying, Zach, you know how we worked on heroes together? Like, are you free for an afternoon? You're gonna get fisted yeah. by Jillian Anderson.
2: I wish they hadn't done that because the whole story that
0: Yeah, the whole thing it, made no sense. Like the more you found out about it, the like, yeah, that's not oh, okay, but but what Yeah.
1: That that was a fan fiction moment for Brian.
0: Yeah, well, that was a lot of season three. I mean, like, I love season three, and I think that the Red Dragon arc and all the scare involved was <laughs> amazing. And there was a lot scare-ousal. of scare Oh, there
1: was so much scare arousal. Like, Richard Armitage and Rutina Wesley sex scene alone. Holy shit.
0: <laughs>
2: right, here's what I
1: need. I need a romantic drama starring Richard Armitage and Rutina Wesley. Where he is styled as he is in Red Dragon, maybe without this tattoo, I, I'm flexible on that, but he acts like his character in the Vicar of Dibley, and then yeah. they have lots of sex. Yes, absolutely. Like, I, I know that we have friends who are romance authors who probably listen to this, can you get on that for us? Because we are ver- we have a very busy schedule of ourselves, of you know planning things that we're totally going to write one day.
0: <laughs> hey, I actually started writing mine, so... Whatever.
1: Oh, look at you being productive.
0: It's right, and I have four jobs, so.
1: Jeez. <laughs> Barely move right now. <laughs> Some of which I actually pay. <laughs> <laughs> How do you sleep?
0: I kind of don't.
2: I would like to point out that before this recording, Kaylee was, you know, weakly from her <laughs>
0: from
2: her deathbed. I am too sick. <laughs> I'm I will just sit to here. You guys will have to talk without me.
1: I've been greatly comforted by the fact that I have a basin right next to my bed, just in case. <laughs> we'll cut that if it happens, don't worry. <laughs> you hope. <laughs> We're not that bad.
0: <laughs> I mean, we are, but... So, Hannibal, yes. Hannibal is dead. Long live Hannibal.
1: Long live the murder husbands. Yeah. There's an amazing article, which I'll try and link, that was on the Daily Dot, written by Ira Mano, disclaimer, I know her on Twitter, where she talks about the way that the show has redefined male relationships on TV, Mm -hmm. and the way that it's taken a very clearly romantic relationship and redefined it in a way that steps out of what we expect that kind of relationship to be, and it sort of takes on some of the criticisms that, well, they don't kiss, so how can it be romantic? It's like, well, they've kind of moved beyond that. And there's enough penetration going on with knives and drills for them to kind of move beyond that anyway. Right.
2: So according to Mass, it was love at first sight for Hannibal.
1: Of course it was. Of course it Everybody was. Everybody saw that except for <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. Empathy.
2: Although he, he would say like, you know, not love is in like Hannibal's kind of love, right? Yeah. This person is interesting and I want to fuck with him kind of love.
1: But there was the, the bit in is episode 11 or 12 where Will asks Bedelia is Hannibal in love with me? You can tell that what she really wants to say is no shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, One behold a cry across Tumblr and Twitter replied yes you fucking idiot. <laughs> I, I think the show really needs to get credit for the fact that clearly they decide at least Brian Fuller decided that this was the no fucks given season. Mm-hmm. So it was like Yeah, I'm going to make my ideal pretentious art house flick porn soap opera fan fiction with the murder husbands and ridiculous camp dialogue and Hannibal Lecter in leather on a motorbike and face eating and tiny, tiny shorts So tiny The tiniest So I think he definitely gets credit as well because I think that what they've done with that relationship is so unlike anything going on in network TV. We still have the favorite dynamic of men on television, particularly in America, is still the no homo bro mm-hmm. relationship. Mm-hmm. Like the entire USA Network for about six or seven years, their their show was the the comedy drama crime procedural with two good looking men who spend all of their time together. But it's not like that. It's not gay, right? And this one's like, no, this is this is kind of gay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> this this makes me want to rant about this will kind of exclude Kaylee but include Raiden because so you think you can dance just wrapped up for the season
0: which I have not seen the end of
2: I won't spoil the end of yet
0: well I know who won but I still can't comment much
2: well this this is from a few episodes ago uh, or maybe just one of the couple
0: yeah I haven't seen one either I'm kind of three episodes behind
2: <laughs> you're a bad fan, you.
0: Well, I was kind of bored by the whole season.
2: <laughs> it was it was a dance where they choreograph um, two girls together, so they dance beautifully, and then Nigel opens his mouth and says, "Oh, it makes me so sad that we can have these emotional dances with with two women, but not with two of our male dancers." Oh,
0: for fuck's sake, Nigel! Yeah, because right? every time you do, you're like, it's too gay.
2: It, for ten years. Every time two men dance on the show together, Nigel, Nigel has to add no homo to the end of the performance, and now he doesn't know why. Fuck you, Nigel.
0: Ugh. This whole season was just a hot-ass mess, I think.
2: And, and that was ignoring Travis's first actual choreograph for the show, which, which Kat immediately brought up.
0: Good. If the show continues, I really kind of want Nigel to be out. Bring Mary back.
2: Get yeah. I, I will listen to Mary scream over Nigel open his mouth anymore.
0: Yeah. No, this season was a hot-ass mess. And I... Like, the whole stage-versus-street conceit, like, how, other than not being constrained by gender pairings quite as much, how is that different from how the show has happened before other than less ballroom?
2: I mean, Travis and Twitch were cute.
0: That's about it. Yeah.
2: When they would waltz off the stage after their introductions.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I loved Yaya. I'm sad she didn't win. Me Spoiler. Too. All right. Shall we move on to uh, Whitey Bulger? Yes. Let's okay. go do it. So, Black Mass, the movie based on the... Rise and fall of Boston crime lord James Whitey Bulger Opened this weekend in the US And I saw it a couple nights ago And it's Very well acted by, by everybody involved Most of the accents are pretty good With the exception of Benedict Cumberbatch Who, to quote my roommate Sounded like he had dental surgery and didn't know the contours of his own mouth anymore. And also the Novocaine was still in effect. <laughs> <laughs> and I had somebody come at me on Twitter. Oh, a, <laughs> a, a rabid Cumberbatch fan. Saying, you don't know what you're talking about. That's exactly what Billy Bulger sounds like. And um, no, Billy Bulger does in fact mumble somewhat. Not as much as... Uh, Mayor, former Mayor Tom Mumbles. Menino did, but he does mumble, but not like that. And yeah, Cumberbatch opened his mouth for the first time time on screen, and both of my roommates, who are Massachusetts, Boston area, born and bred, both went, oh, no. (laughs) So that was not good. It was not good, and he also doesn't look at all like Billy Bulger did, who was short and squat, and Cumberbatch is neither of those things Anyway The movie is beautifully acted Beautifully shot slow as fuck Oh my god Oh my god. I mean this is a guy who murdered at least 19 people That they know of The movie was slow as fuck I think the The most interesting thing The, the most interesting choice they made Was making Bulger Into kind of a plot locomotive And not so much the protagonist, the real protagonist of the story is the FBI guy who grew up with Bulger and they'd been friends in childhood. And he definitely meant to save the city from crime. And instead, bit by bit, got himself more and more involved in keeping Bulger safe from the feds and growing Bulger's criminal empire. Until the next thing you know, he's helping murder a guy in Miami. You know, like, it happens. Totally happens. So it's not a bad movie. I don't think it's particular. It's not great. Uh, Depp is definitely gunning for an Oscar, and I think he's probably going to get a nomination. But I definitely think that Ian McKellen has this year's Best Actor statuette in the bag with Mr. Holmes. Sorry, Leo.
1: Sorry, Sorry Red Mane. Ha!
0: <laughs> okay, so, so I, that's have a for question,
1: her. I have a question about this movie. Yeah. As someone who lives in the Boston area and yeah. has to kind of live with the shadow of Whitey Bulger everywhere, mm-hmm. what sort of stance does the film take on Bulger's career, for lack of a better term, and his actions and the ultimate effect that they had on the city? Because I saw a movie recently... Also about a very famous British crime lord, I uh, I think the the biggest area where it stumbled was in that particular depiction. I mean,
0: I moved to Boston in two thousand three, which was nine years after Bulger went um, after the fall of Bulger, and after he had been in hiding for nine years. And so, really, it was just sort of this, you know, Weddy Bulger, he was a big crime lord back in the day. And to say that there's a shadow that I notice? eh. I remember when he was captured in 2011, and suddenly this guy who'd been on the FBI's Most Wanted list, he was number two right after Osama bin Laden for, like, nine years. And... Uh, This guy who held Southie in his iron grip And they bring him out And you're like, this is a sad, tired old man Holy shit I mean, the film definitely kind of takes a uh, The FBI got into bed with Bulger To get the Italian mafia out of Boston Which they did But doing that always creates a power vacuum and somebody's going to jump into it. And if somebody has the backing of the FBI or even a couple of people within the FBI who will protect his ass, uh, then they're going to slide into it. And, yeah, I, I don't really have an answer to that.
1: Oh, I have another question. Yeah. What's with, what's with Johnny Depp's contact lenses?
0: Uh, the, what's with Johnny Depp's contact lenses is that Johnny Depp has brown eyes and Whitey Bulger has blue eyes. And they were attempting to... I mean, the the makeup job is really some sort of uncanny valley shit. It's a little freaky. Like, in stills, you looked at it and went, oh, he actually looks like Whitey Bulger. And then, like, it didn't quite move right. And maybe they were trying to go with a... This guy's a stone-cold killer and his eyes are completely dead. But his eyes are completely dead. And he does kind of look like a zombie or a fish. And (laughs) my answer to that is if your actor doesn't have the right eye color just roll with it because it's spooky and like you could see his eyes through the aviator sunglasses and I have so many Mm -hmm. rages about aviator sunglasses in general just the existence of them is terrible and as someone with high cheekbones I can't wear them and they look terrible on everyone so stop it even you, Biden. Even you. Please stop. Love me. Anyway. So, I don't know if they were going for the cold, dead eyes, or they were just trying to make Johnny Depp's eyes blue and still allow him to actually see out of the colored contacts. But it was freaky either way, and added to the uncanny valley of the makeup job.
2: You know, if Harry Potter fans got over it mm. Whitey Bulger fans can too.
1: Yeah, Matt Zoller cites from Rogeraber.com, his review of the film, which he really liked, he said that the the contacts added to the, the zombie-like nature of that character and made the film play more like a hotter, which I think is an interesting idea. But every time I saw that trailer, just with those eyes, it's like, mm-hmm. Do you have do you have cataracts? Are you okay? Like did Whitey Bulger was Whitey Bulger blind? Yeah <laughs> No, I I was mostly just distracted by them. Were there any standouts in the film that weren't Johnny Depp's cataracts? Joel Edgerton
0: as John Connolly, the the main FBI guy and uh, childhood friend of the Bul- the brothers Bulger, was really good, and Dakota Johnson as Bulger's. Wikipedia describes her as his common law wife but we don't have common law marriage in Massachusetts it was also I mean Dakota Johnson is a fucking professional and she did her best with with Fifty Shades so like give her an actual character Who, I mean she's not in the movie that much but she was really good Adam Scott plays Adam Scott
1: it's with an amazing mustache, if <laughs> the trailer is With an
0: amazing mustache, yes. Like, you want to know what Ben Wyatt looks like with a porn stash? Here you go. But he is a, a perfectly serviceable supporting character, which sounds kind of like I'm damning with faint praise, and maybe I am a little bit. But you need those, so.
1: The cast is amazing. It's Joel Edgerton, Dakota Johnson, Corey Stoll, Peter Sarsgaard. Yeah. Well, they they brought it in. They definitely it's, did. It's, it's co-written by Jez Barwerf, who wrote Jerusalem, which is one of my all-time favorite plays. And I actually wrote about him in my dissertation. So I have a soft spot for him. Yeah.
0: I, and the they really used the Boston locations really well, which is always fun to see. So it was actually I mean,
1: filmed in Boston. It wasn't filmed, filmed in Vancouver. In
0: yeah. A lot, lots of it were filmed in Boston. And they made... certainly the interiors of what what they were kind of using as the FBI office but is actually Boston City Hall which is like one of the most ugly buildings in America it's 60s brutalist architecture in all of its brutalist glory like it's the most disgusting (laughs) concrete shit pile you've ever seen in your entire life I will show it to you someday that worked really well as the FBI office and the interiors of just cold and nobody has any idea what the fuck is going on. (laughs) So ultimately I liked it. I think the, the problem with the pacing was based on, it's based on real life and real life doesn't follow act structures or pacing guidelines or anything like that. And, uh, it doesn't always work so well for a movie and that's why things get changed in movies. So so there it is. So
2: speaking of movies, Tiff is happening. And yes, I'm not going again this year. Let's let's get over that fact.
0: Well, hey, I I released you from your scrub status for a year because you gave up magic to go see Mass. Yeah. Yay.
2: But here's here's the movies that we were talking about being interesting and the reviews coming out. So there is The Program, which is the Lance Armstrong story. And first the news leaked out that Ben Foster used steroids. He went method. <laughs> With doctor supervision, he followed the steroid regimen. Uh, the director did not know. Chris O'Dowd gave this interview where he... Tried not to sound like he's encouraging people to do drugs, but also was kind of trying to say, like, look, if you're playing a drug addict, it kind of helps to know what drugs feel like.
1: Has he tried acting? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Apparently O'Dowd's really good in this movie, but I read a review which kind of panned Foster. So, I, I yeah. haven't actually
1: read any reviews. for it. It's the one I'm really excited for because I, I'm obsessed with that story and I really like Stephen Freer's work anyway.
2: I'll, I'll link your review. was not that good. Mm. See, I can't... like I see Ben Foster, and I think of all the like Canadian kids shows he was in, like uh, Flash Forward, and then he was in Andromeda, and I'm like, how are you now on stage with Gillian Anderson and doing movies and stuff? Then there is... I'm not going to get to see this in TIFF. It didn't work out in my work schedule, but I'm hoping this will get an like on-demand release. The Women He's Undressed which is the Ori Kelly documentary. I think Ori Kelly, I'm getting the name right. Who is the, um, yeah, Ori Kelly. He was a costume designer and kind of, you know, golden Hollywood era, uh, an Australian who, who, I think for a while they said he was leading the amount of Academy Awards for an Australian because he just kept on winning them for his costumes. <laughs> I don't know that looks just really fun. Uh, the Dressmaker.
0: I've been hearing kind of conflicting reviews about that.
2: But you have a Hemsworth brother naked and Kate Winslet making out with him. How good does it have to be?
0: Fair enough. A Hemsworth brother in his actual accent for once. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I,
2: I haven't actually seen any reviews of The Martian, which is the Gala for this year, but I'm going to go see it regardless because I finally read the book and it's amazing. I loved it. Loved it so much. Another one that, was, that are, probably is going to generate awards buzz is The Spotlight.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to
2: that one. So the Spotlight stars Mark Ruffalo and actually a whole, like, they're all big name actors if you watch the trailers. I want to, I'm probably going to collect as many trailers as I can for the show notes. It's about the, I want to say the Boston Globe, am I getting the newspaper right? Boston Globe investigation into the cover-up of the Catholic priest child abuse scandal. The trailer's intense. Mm Mm-hmm. I love that little scene they have in the trailer where the reporters are talking to the lawyers for the church and basically going, like, look, we're writing a story about priests abusing children or the lawyers who helped them get away with it. Do you want to uh, to help us pick which story we're
0: going to write? Because we're writing one of them.
2: Or the lawyers lawyers who turned it into a cottage industry. I think that's the line. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah,
2: and I think that movie's going to probably come out of the of the festival with, like the most buzz, so.
1: Mhm. I'm I'm glad that Tom McCarthy's made a good movie after that whole Cobbler mess of Adam Sandler. <laughs> this is why you don't like Adam Sandler near your movies, people.
0: Yeah, you think you would know by now.
1: I re- I really do want to see Spotlight cuz um I just—I think that's a really fascinating story. I do wonder if maybe it's too soon, but then again, I really want to see the Lance Armstrong movie, so I've got no footing on that. And also Boston accents. Right.
0: Although, I did notice when watching the trailer before Black Mass that all of the churches that they featured in the trailer are not Catholic churches and never were.
1: It's not like the Catholic church were going to give them permission to film on Catholic churches. No, obviously. but like
0: aerial shots of... Park Street Church, which is a Universalist Unitarian Church. Or the Arlington Street Church, which is also a UU church, because that whole thing sort of started in Boston, and that sort of thing. So, yeah.
2: I Um, wonder, though, (laughs) about the, I don't know, judiciousness of... When you're talking, you know, you're going to make a movie about children being abused, and you show like somebody else's church is the place where it happened? Like, that's...
0: Well, I mean, it's just aerial view. So I, I don't know. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying.
2: Yeah, use real locations when you can. Yeah. Crimson Peak is coming out soon.
0: Yes.
2: Yes. We we may be recording an episode on it, or not. Hint: We may. We.
0: Are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Spoiler: We are. We are. <laughs> we are i'm listening to weathering heights it's terrible Ooh. do we wait, do we have to do that no we don't have to i just thought that i would give it a shot and audible's been you know after me to give an audible try and i said okay
2: oh you're listening to i thought you meant the song no
1: oh i can listen to the song i like the song
0: no, I mean I'm listening to the audiobook of Wuthering Heights. Who's narrating it? Flo Gibson. Says nothing to me. Nope. Yeah, she's okay. I'm not really an audiobook person, I don't think. So we'll be talking about gothic things and stuff and Tom Hardy or, or Tom, Tom Hiddleston, not Tom Hardy. Butt. Tom Hiddleston in a cravat. And how We're going to be
2: talking about Tom Hiddleston's ass, I promise you that.
0: Yes. And we're also, we're also going to talk about how Alina did not go stock the filming in Toronto. Mm,
2: there's a lot of
0: yep. things. Yep.
2: My life regrets will be numerous. That's true. <laughs> did you see the um, video of a panel, a Crimson Peak panel? Uh, it was Guillermo del Toro and Tom Huddleston. And it was such funny banter, but he made... Uh, Del Toro made Hillston say "fuck" and people were cheering, and Hillston was like, I-, "I hasten to add, this is not like the f- a first utterance I said the word before." <laughs> I'm like, you, you hasten, just said hasten to,
0: to add. To add.
2: <laughs> Del Toro was joking about how so much of the movie is shown him naked, and it was just so charming.
0: Yeah.
2: Oh, so what do we think about the fact that Tom Hillston's playing a American country singer? Eh.
1: eh. I just watched a trailer to that and went, you know, I liked this when it was called Walk the Line. I have that movie on DVD. <laughs> was Hank? Did Hank Williams look anything like Tom Hiddleston? Because, mm. like, I get that it's you know biopic tradition to cast someone way better looking to play you, but
2: let me put it this way: I think he looks more like Tom Hiddleston than Whitey Bulger looks like. Uh... Oh no, sorry, not Whitey Bulger. Um... Billy, Billy Bulger. Billy Bulger. The the Benedict batch one.
0: Billy Bulger.
1: Did you see cucumber, cucumber batch? batch?
0: Yes, you should. Sure. <laughs> Cumberbatches <laughs> are going to come for us. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs>
2: Here, Google gave me a picture of Hank Williams. I think it looks enough. I mean, obviously it doesn't look anything like him, but like general structures.
1: Mmm, whatever. Mm, mm. Look,
2: Paul Bettany played Chaucer.
1: Yeah, but that, was a that wasn't a was a biopic. <laughs> From what I saw, the reviews of this movie, they, it wasn't spectacular. It was just its standard biopic. The thing that's fascinated me most about that is the Tom Hiddleston, Elizabeth Olsen, they're totally in a relationship, but now that the Oscar buzz has died down, no, we're just friends. Like, the, <laughs> the, the PR game going on there was just sloppy.
2: That's just so standard.
1: Yeah. Like, if you must do that, take some hints on Bradley Cooper and the two year contract he's currently in, allegedly. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't really hear a whole lot of buzz about it. It just looked kind of, you know, I've seen biopics. I like some, I don't like others, but you know. You know what you're getting. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's not gonna stray from the from the template. May I talk about a biopic that I saw recently? Absolutely. Ooh. So I don't know how well Americans know about the craze. Like nothing.
0: Tom Hardy okay, plays
1: some yeah. that's all. So, we know. <laughs> Legend just came out in the UK And I believe it's coming out in America soon And it stars Tom Hardy as both Ronald and Reginald Cray Who were the most Infamous London crime lords of the 60s They were a Fascinating intersection between The world of crime and celebrity They had these you know, top nightclubs In the east end of London that celebrities would Flock to so that they could hang around With the gangster crowd because it was cool to do but they were also really violent mass murdering fuckheads. And I say that because I'm not entirely sure the film understood that until like the final 15 minutes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So one of the brothers, Ronald Cray, was a paranoid schizophrenic who was also gay. He was also openly gay in the 60s in the East End of London when this was just not a thing that was done. And there's a really fascinating character there, but Bless Tom Hardy This was clearly the character he was most interested in playing him But he plays him as Just kind of vaguely autistic mm-hmm. Like The the whole joke in Tropic Thunder About playing characters with with Mental mm-hmm. disabilities Which I won't repeat here because of ableist language <laughs> But it felt like that was kind of The route that he was taking
0: mm-hmm.
1: And it's a shame Because it's such an interesting character but I don't think the material Necessary understands how interesting they are and that they're not to be mythologized. Because when I remember, well, I don't remember, but my friend, when they died, um, they had their funeral and there were people lining the streets, cheering and clapping for them as Frank Sinatra's My Way played. You know, they were so heavily mythologized and deified by the point in time that people were willing to forget that they just murdered and bullied and extorted and, you know, They were gangsters. Mm -hmm. And I remember going into that film thinking, I wonder how Americans are going to react to this film because they don't necessarily know who he is. And then after I came out, he says, okay, that's not going to be a problem because this film was very clearly made by Americans for Americans. It plays like Goodfellas fan fiction at times. I love Goodfellas. Goodfellas is one of my favorite movies. I really think that's a brilliant piece of work. But Scorsese understands that those are not nice people. Mm-hmm. And that the lifestyles that they lead and the choices they make ultimately ruin them. You know, the Ray Liotta character becomes a paranoid coke addict who has no friends and is constantly on the verge of being assassinated by his former colleagues. This The legend doesn't even approach that level of nuance. It mm-hmm. thinks that because it throws in a lot of, you know, long one-take tracking shots that it looks cool. And there are some really good moments in it, which is what makes it all the more annoying. At the end, when you finally realise how their, their criminal empire is crumbling and how the loyalty that they have scared people into ultimately means nothing when, it, you know, when push comes to shove.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The biggest problem that the film has is the narrator of the film is Franny Cree, who was Reginald's wife. And she ultimately ended up killing herself And that actually happens in the film, but she still keeps narrating the story and talking about her Reggie. And it's like, are you really using the memory of this dead woman to kind of justify the way that you're taking the story? It's a mess, to say the least, which is also a shame because Emily Browning, who plays Franny Cray, is really good. She has to walk that fine line between being extremely fragile, but also... Combating the stuff that her husband, Partner turned husband does uh, The thing that I have The most mixed opinions on is the way That they handle Well there are mixed opinions as to whether Ronnie Craig was gay or bisexual Like he seemed to change his mind whenever he was asked mm-hmm. But you're kind of reminded at every possible moment That he's gay No, no yeah. Which on the one hand I, I love that, that they're just you know, Gutsy enough to to mention to actually go with the fact, because they've made films about the craze before where they just completely omit it. But it is a Certificate 18 film where you will see Tom Hardy spanking a half-naked man on his hands and knees with a carpet beater, but you won't actually see him kiss another guy.
2: Uh Oh.
1: It's like, okay, I see what you're doing. And that felt really sad, because there is a film where a man is hammered to death, like, literally hammered, but you can't show two dudes kissing. Mm Mm-hmm. And I really kept talking down that I did actually enjoy it while I was watching it, but it's the one that where you think about it and you go, "Actually, that was that bit was not good, and that was not good." And a friend of mine has a theory that every sooner or later every young hip filmmaker will try to remake Goodfellas at some point. Mm-hmm. So David O. Russell did American Hustle, and Paul Thomas <laughs> Anderson did Boogie Nights, um, and now this feels like an attempt to, to kind of do that. But none that doesn't understand What makes Goodfellas Goodfellas mm-hmm. So if nothing else I came out of it thinking Man, Scorsese would have done wonders with that material And I felt a little sorry for Tom Hardy Because he's really good as the brother That he clearly wasn't as interested in playing
0: mm-hmm.
1: But the one that was the passion project He's just a little too Too many twitches Too many ticks really It's a tick driven performance It's not really inhabiting the role Mm -hmm. But you know that that gif of him Spanking that guy with the feather With the carpet beater That's going to populate tumblers for years to come Because Tom Hardy's a darling And he loves dogs He was on um, Alan Carr Chatty Man, the British chat show last week And Alan Carr showed him The Instagram account Tom Hardy with dogs Mm -hmm. And he says we had some requests For dogs that we'd like to see you take pictures with Do you mind if we bring some out And he got very excited but there's a bit where they brought out this giant dog. I can't remember what breed of dog it was. And he goes, is he male or female? And he reaches round to check. <laughs> Even though there's very clearly something dangling down there that tells you, he still has to have a check. So it's like, oh, you, you do you, Tom Hardy.
2: Well, we're, you know, we're fast running out of precious cinnamon rolls who have not turned into problematic faves because people keep on opening their damn Because
0: mouth. people keep being people. Because precious cinnamon rolls do not exist, Tumblr.
1: Well, they credit don't actually to, exist. credit to Tom Hardy in particular for the way that he handled a journalist, very sort of pushing him into talking about or sort of trying to deliberately label him as a queer actor. And he was like, What the fuck are you on about? Mm-hmm. And his response to that was really, I know who I am and I feel no reason to talk about this. I don't see why I'm not entitled to privacy. Yep. It's like, Oh, bless, you gave a good answer. <laughs> yep. Just, I, I'm just glad these days when actors don't open their mouth and say something horrifically misogynist or homophobic. So. Yeah. Or transphobic, which seems to be a common one these days.
2: That's actually another Tiff movie that. So, did you know that there's a movie coming out in which uh, Elle Fanning plays a trans boy?
1: Yeah. Yep. yep. Is, is it called Ray? It's called About Ray. What really bugged me about that film, there's two things. One, there was an article written recently on, I think, Vulture, where it talked about all these films that are coming out about trans people from history or from fiction. Those stories are more about the straight and cisgender people in their lives and how they're affected by them. Uh Mm -hmm. Basically reducing trans people to the manic pixie trans men and women of fiction. But the other one was when the director talked about the film and why she deliberately cast cisgender woman played a role she constantly misgendered the character referring to him as a a girl who becomes a boy and how well if i cast i didn't want to cast a trans boy because that wasn't the kind of film i wanted to make so i was like okay so it's a story that you're okay with appropriating you just don't want to let them have anything to do with it in their own story and this is something we've been happening a lot with oh let me see off the top of my head eddie Redmayne. Who has been going on the defensive For his performance in The Danish Girl Talking about how he will Stridently defend and Champion trans actors Having trans roles in films Except when he's playing them Mm -hmm. So you know He's all about supporting trans actors on that front Except when it'll get him Oscar number 2 I'm just saying his next performance Is going to be blackface Like If David Oyelowo couldn't get nominated for Martin Luther King He's going to give it a go I hate that I said that out loud, it's gonna happen now (laughs)
2: And we'll blame you
1: And then that doesn't even get into The bullshit that's happening with Roland Emmerich's Stonewall movie Mm. Mm. Can we just not All I'm saying is if Roland Emmerich was gonna make a movie about Rosa Parks it would focus on the white bus driver Oh, yeah, no, I agree with you I just, yeah So yeah, just imagine if Hollywood gave a shit about trans people As much as it did using their stories to get people Oscars Mm Mm-hmm Let's talk about something happier Guess what I did on Thursday night
0: What did you do on Thursday night?
1: I went to the screening of the Rocky Horror Show On West End It is the 43rd Anniversary of the Rocky Horror Show Which, wow So (laughs) they did a special Screening of it live From West End where it's currently Playing And they showed it in cinemas across Europe I believe So I went to a sold-out screening of it at my local cinema with my sister because it's my sister's favourite movie of all time and has been since she was about 10 or 11, I think. Oh, Lord. (laughs) My grandmother was really liberal about what movies she let us watch. So we went and there was lots of people dressed up and it was a really sombre crowd. There was a row of people behind us who were... Much, much, much older than me and my sister, who just sat there looking really sullen for the entire show. They weren't doing any of the cheering or the heckling or the singing along. And it's like, why are you here? Like, if you're not going to scream asshole and slut with the rest of us, why are you here? <laughs> <laughs> so it was really fun because I've never seen the stage show before. My sister has. I've just seen the movie. Mm-hmm. So it was fun to note differences and similarities and. The narrator role was played by several different people. Richard O'Brien was there doing the narrator. You know, He wrote the show and was the original riffraff. Stephen Fry did a little bit, who really rolled with the punches with the heckling. One moment someone screamed blowjob and he just replied, oh, yes, please. Ade uh, Ed Edmondson, who's a British actor and comedian, was also one of the narrators, and he came out in the full tights and fishnets and heels. Bravo. Emma Bunton from Spice Girls did the Time Warp bit. Mel from Mel and Sue of the Great British Bake Off was also in it. And clearly just having the time for life. And then Anthony Head was the final narrator. Oh! But he'd already played Frank on stage. But he wasn't wearing tights or heels. And I was very disappointed by that. But it was nice to see him. Mm-hmm. The show was incredible fun. I mean, I love that show anyway. It's really holds up as a piece of theatre and musical. It's funny and silly and a surprisingly good riff on old B-movies from the 50s and the music is incredibly catchy and it's really fascinating to see what was this incredibly transgressive piece of theatre in the 70s still kind of hold a punch in 2015 but I I I've sort of talked about it being culturally de-radicalized in many ways. Mhm. Which I think is true because I mean Glee did an episode on it. Uh-huh. Right. Every children's party I went to when I was younger at a Time Warp, you know, every th- this is so part of the cultural lexicon now. It's mainstream. But this screening was an aid of Amnesty International and they talked about there's they sort of showed a, sh- a short film during the the interval that was dedicated to a a drag queen and gay rights activist who has been arrested, I believe, in Turkey for protesting and how they were supporting him with this performance. I was like, oh, actually, this is still really radical in many parts of the world. Just because me and my sister saw it at inappropriately young ages doesn't mean that everyone else had that same experience. Mm -hmm. So that was fascinating. And it was also just a generally really fun show. Eventually, people did get up and dance more, which was nice. But I wish they'd done that more throughout the show, because it would have been nice to have the atmosphere in the cinema that they had in the theatre where it was being screened from. And yes, I know the words to all of it, which I was very proud of. (laughs) The funniest bit for me is the guy that was playing Frankenfurter is an actor called David Bedelia, who does a lot of stage work and has played this role for many years. But he used to be on a TV show here called uh, Holby City, which is like, it's a hospital drama. And he played a plastic surgeon called Carlos, and my sister was obsessed with that show when she was younger. So she immediately got really excited when she recognized who he was. I was like, is this our benchmark for knowing who these people are? <laughs> he was grateful. I mean, it's a hard role to play, particularly in the shadow of watching Tim Curry in that film for, you know, hundreds of times, as me and my sister have. So it, when they, then they announced that they were going on tour at Christmas time, and I was like, Yep, yeah, that's what me and you are doing for Christmas Daryl. They're also doing the Priscilla Queen of the Desert tour, so I think it's going to be a a common theme of Christmas events for me and my sister. <laughs> but it was great fun, and I'm glad I'm glad that it's still a thing. Like I'm glad that this is this. There's still generations who get to discover this weird show about <laughs> cross-dressing aliens <laughs> singing rock and roll. So that's still really cool to me, and I'm glad that. My my sister had fun there because it's really more her thing than it's my thing. And I'm glad that she has a thing. We all need a thing.
0: Mm. Yay. All right. We had a request to talk about Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries, season three of which just came out on American Netflix. And we also essentially have a dare to do this in three minutes. Okay. This will be fun.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I actually think we've already stuck to topic another three minutes earlier. We did a lot of short ones.
0: Yeah. Uh, But this one I'm actually timing. Okay. Okay. So... Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries is an Australian show about a lady detective in the 20s, which really hits the 1920s as a world war- worldwide PTSD episode as a result of World War One. and Essie Davis plays Miss Fisher, who is an honorable, her father is a baron of some kind, I don't know, but she has a shit ton of money, and amazing clothes, and a lot of unspoken sexual attention, and unresolved with Jack Robinson, a detective who has the best boner face in the business, even better than Sam Eugens, who's pretty good. And she also has an assistant named Dot, who's very Catholic, but becoming more and more of a progressive new woman. And she has a fiancé, who we call Constable Puppy, because he basically is a puppy. And uh, season three is uh, kind of uneven at this point. I've only seen four episodes. And Uh, Miss Fisher, Freiny, and Jack really need to get down and bone like right now. I need them too.
2: It's based on a series of books by Carrie Greenwood. (laughs) The books are very good um, very different in tone from the TV show so if you're a fan of the books, the show is very fun, cozy mystery but you have very little lynch I'm so sorry. Uh, If you're a fan of the show and go to the books, do not expect Jack and Freiny. They're not a thing in the books. Friney's younger. Jack is happily married. Expect a lot more than Chung.
0: That's legit.
1: Kaylee, do you have anything to add? Um, I like AC Davis, but I've never seen the show.
0: You should see the show.
1: It's very cute. Okay,
0: that was two and a <laughs> half minutes. Boom! Done! <laughs> <laughs> I almost kind
2: of want to talk more about the books because I have a whole thing about the books. There's so many of them, but... Mostly, there's one thing that just is now bothering me consistently.
0: Mm.
2: And that is, it's a series of books in Australia with, you know, not, almost none, very few Australian aboriginals in it. And by the time you get to book 13, you're like, can we have some, you know, Australians in this? And the air says, no, no, no. And instead, you get racial slurs. Yeah.
0: Mm. I feel like it's something we addressed in a previous episode. I think I
2: did, because I think it was just, it was, it's kind of one thing, something you have to get out of your system. This is what happens when you like things, but they have problems in them, and you were like, but I want to talk about the problems.
0: But I still like it. Yeah. It's like that happens. What? 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 Was there anything else we wanted to hit?
2: Yes. Well, it's, it's a very minor hit. On a geeky front, Dragon Age Inquisition Trespasser is out. It is the last expansion that will wrap up the Dragon Age Inquisition story. Uh, they had a Pax panel on it. Uh, I've I haven't played it yet. I'm probably gonna. I haven't just had a free chance. I like to play these expansions through. I'm probably gonna play it this weekend. If any
0: of our listeners are playing it,
2: tweet to me about it. I'm ha- always happy to talk about it.
0: I saw Megan Hilty in concert last night She was amazing She sang three songs from Smash And I'd forgotten that the music from that show Was actually really good The the show was a hot ass mess But the music was good I think that pretty much covers Any planned tangents Yes? Yes I think Kaylee's gonna curl up and die Right about now Uh, It's getting that way, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So this has been episode 36. We will be back next month sometime after Crimson Peak opens. Maybe with a guest. I don't know. It could happen. Maybe. Oh, it'll happen. And uh, leave us a review on iTunes. That'd be nice. That'd be awesome. There's a couple, and they're very lovely. Thank you. Uh, you can tweet at us, email us, visit our webpage. All of those links are in the show notes. Have a good night, everybody. Bye. 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 You have been listening to Anglifies, a made-of-fail production. Hold on. Do, 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 do. You know, we'll edit this out.
2: And put it in the stinger.
0: Absolutely. <laughs>